From the courtroom to the tabloids. Welcome to All Rise. All Rise swears to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Your host, Dylan Howard. For four decades, the name Gotti has been synonymous with organised crime in New York City. And now, a Gotti, after 29 years behind bars, has been released from prison. Will this spark a new underworld war? We have an exclusive interview with all the answers. Plus, a twist in the Natalie Wood death investigation. Is a new probe about to lead to murder charges? Plus, Hollywood in turmoil. Steve Harvey fired. Julie Chen quits. What's next? This is All Rise, Episode 14, Season 1. Musical chairs in Hollywood. Not just regular chairs, but hosting chairs. Steve Harvey's daily talk show, Steve, seemingly cancelled and replaced for a pop star. This breaking news on the front page of the National Enquirer and confirmed with NBC announcing country music superstar Kelly Clarkson will take Steve's seat. Joining me here in the studio is Radar Online news editor Andy Tillett. Andy, what can you tell us about this breaking story? Well, this is a huge embarrassment for Steve. He's a veteran of television and talk shows who's been working on the radio and with a uh, daily talk show in the mornings for 10 years now. And he's being replaced by somebody who's never hosted a television show before. Why has he been axed? He's been axed because the show's been underperforming. And to be honest with you, his guests are pretty poor. The caliber of guests that you would you know expect on a talk show leading into something big like Ellen would be high caliber A-list people, actors, musicians, uh, and the like. And he's been getting people in from reality shows and uh, very niche interest sort of groups to be his main focus on the show. Is it possible, though, that network bosses realize they might have a problem on their hands with Steve Harvey because... Seemingly, there is scandal after scandal after scandal after scandal about him and his personal life and his professional life. That's right. Steve's been dragged into a number of different lawsuits. And recently, it's come to light that a guest on his show, when it was still being filmed in Chicago, was made to dress more provocatively than she normally would and then paraded in front of the audience who described her in in less than favourable terms, thus making her feel uh, particularly upset and even sexually harassed. Uh, Steve has also been accused previously of many things, including cheating on his wives and um, cheating them out of money and and, and being something of a uh, skinflint when it comes to the way that he produces his shows and uh, in his personal life. And these things have marred his career and also you know to the to the wider public he 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 seems like a, a man who tries to grease his way through things and uh doesn't play by the rules or fairly a lot of the time a big week for television we saw the demise of the most revered television executive in cbs's chief executive leslie moonvez and his wife 
Julie Chen, who was the host of The Talk and the host of Big Brother. We saw Julie Chen step down in a pre-recorded interview Mm -hmm. with the show that aired on The Talk. Let's take a listen. I have been at The Talk since the day it started nine years ago, and the cast, crew, and staff have become family to me over the years. But right now, I need to spend more time at home with my husband and our young son. So I've decided to leave the talk. I want to thank everyone at the show for the wonderful years together. I will always, always cherish the memories we shared. Andy, was it a shock that she stood down? It was seen by many as being the easiest way out for her. Um, No matter how she appears on the talk, people are going to question her relationship and standing by Les Moonves after serious allegations of sexual assault over a number of years were leveled at him. It's the easiest thing for her to do is to step down and to quietly, you know, take a step back so that she can dodge questions about Les. And I'm sure that after a a, a period of incubation, she will come back again or she will find her way to get back into television but it probably will be a long way from now maybe a year or two les himself of course is still hanging in the balance as to whether he's going to get any of the 120 million dollar payout which he was finalizing with uh, the network just before these allegations came to light will she continue with big brother that's the question on everybody's lips and it's been said that she will stand down and sources have told us that she uh, has not renewed her contract so I would say at this stage that yes she will step down from Big Brother and we won't be seeing her on television in the foreseeable future Alright Andy Tiller, thank you very much for your time Thank you Dylan. Coming up next is the FBI on red alert with an underworld war ready to explode again? We'll have all the answers next The younger brother of famed mobster John Gotti has been released from prison after serving 29 years behind bars for dealing heroin. His name, Gene Gotti, the younger brother of Dapper Don John Gotti. What does his release back to the streets of New York mean for the underworld? Joining me on the line is one of the most foremost experts in the underworld scene, Frank DiMatteo, whose father and uncle were indeed mafia hitman, but Frank, the author of Carmine the Snake, a terrific book about Carmine Persico and his murderous mob family. Frank, thank you very much for joining us on All Rise. Thank you, guys. The release of this 71-year-old notorious gangster, Gene Gotti, after serving 29 years certainly has the mob on edge. The release from jail has many suspecting that the gangland wars, ultimately of the 80s and 90s, might indeed be reinvigorated. Do you have fears that we're on the verge of yet another underworld war? Nope, not at all. Not at all. They lost uh, that Cambino Gotti family lost most its power. Him coming out is not going to make no waves. He's not strong enough. Spent too many years in jail, and uh, he's going to be happy just to to you know exist. Does the Gambino crime family still exist? Yeah, of course, the Gambino crime family exists. 
but the Gotti family doesn't run it anyone uh, any any longer. Who runs the Gambinos? Uh, there's other factions that run it. There's other you know crews that were always around that has more seniority and wasn't in trouble and uh, pretty much on the ground and they're pretty much uh, you know doing business like they used to. But I mean, there's no one walking around the street with uh, with signs you know saying who they are. <laughs> but like the Gotti's do. So I really don't think uh, Gene's going to make any kind of difference. You know, you don't have the manpower, the money, and the reason to do it. I mean, it's been uh, so long that, that they've been out of uh, power that uh, this don't make no sense and to do something like that. So I pretty much say that he's going to go about his business, whatever business he has. I mean, the man could be, you know, fed up and, you know, the 30 years in jail and, and, you know, just go home at 71 and, or, I mean, it could be a, you know, you know, uh, egotistical, you know, and want to, you know, play a Gotti role, but, uh, my feelings is that he's going to be a really on a low, low, if, if anything. You know, I spoke to one law enforcement source close to the NYPD and they told me that the Gambino family still runs very smoothly, gambling pills, construction union type business. Right. The most prevailing question to me, though, is the Gotti family, and I've spoken on this very program to John Gotti Jr., who right. seemingly says that he doesn't have a dog in the fight anymore. He doesn't harbor animosity towards those that seemingly became rats, for want of a better phrase. But Sammy the Bull Gravano was released from prison recently and ultimately was the individual who got John Gotti Sr convicted and jailed where he ultimately died behind bars. Do you right. think that the Gotti family harbors ill will towards Sammy the Bull? Of course. So why would they not seek retribution now that Gene's back on the streets? Because, because you know, it's, it's a 2018. The surveillance, the, the, the law is very smart. They come out of the, you know, Sammy's out of the witness detection program, but, but you know, don't you think the law is waiting for somebody to go after him? People are not stupid. I mean, if I know you came in a witness program, you're a rat already, and the, and the, and the law is waiting for me to come after you. You're the last person I'm going to go after, dislike you or not. I'm not a fool. I don't stay in the streets for 60 years because I'm an idiot. You know what I mean? So that's the reason why these guys don't go after a lot of guys, because the law watches them. Just waiting for you to come and you know, be a cowboy. And, and people notice. Do you think Gene Gotti's under surveillance now that he's been released? Gene Gotti's going to be under surveillance forever. Of course he is. Right. Of course he is. Tell me about the main streets of New York. There are supposedly five crime families that operate. What right. is the underworld like in 2018? It's very, very low, low key. It's, it's a whole different world here. You know, no one, no one's flashing around like in, you know, the 70s, 80s, and 90s. They, you know, everyone's undercover and there's no, you know, no one's going to clubs and dressed like 1940 and diamonds on and nicknames. Everything's very low, low. You know, the, the police surveillance and, and, and technology is, is far beyond what we can dream of. And you just can't do nothing. Flashy. Not that you can't do nothing at all. I mean, you always find a way to, to criminals always find a way to do something, you know, to earn money. But just, just not as flashy or as flamboyant. Um, you got five families. A lot of them are always in, they're in trouble. I mean, there's, there's every month, every other month, there's, there's four or five guys or 22 guys arrested. I mean, it's, it's in disarray. 
most of the uh, older guys are all gone. I mean, you've got a new wave of 40, 50, 60 year old guys that are in charge that, uh, you know, aren't schooled like the old days and they don't have mentors like the old days and they have a headache with the law. So uh, they play the part, but they don't have the, the freedom or the, you know, uh, pretty much the freedom to do what they've done in, in, the, in like I said, 40s, 50s, and 60s. I want to ask you about your personal story. Your father and uncle were mafia hitmen. Tell me about that. Well, as a young boy, I, you know, I didn't know, and I, I didn't pick up on it. Uh, I, you know, I seen a murder when I was five or six or seven, like that, and it was it didn't affect me because it was like cowboys and Indian stuff. But uh, I pretty much, uh, by 11, 12, 13, I pretty much knew that these guys were treated differently or special. And then you would, uh, you know, and then you would, uh, you know, being uh, a son or, you know, I was pretty privy to a few things. Even at 13, I was big. I started driving. And that's how I got to see the world as a, in, in that in that way. Uh Having a father that's a hitman, that's what he did. I had no had no feelings on it. To me, they were, my godfather was another man, man. But to me, they kissed me and said hello and, you know, treated me good. So, and I was always told business is business and pleasure is pleasure. So that was my mindset, you know, so. And what crime family were they involved in? They were with the Gallo family. I see. Which was pretty much the Pafachi family, then the Colombo family. Of course, the very notorious Colombo family. Yeah. You have taken an interesting turn. You had a front row seat to the mob war, but then you became an author of what is just a fascinating book, as I mentioned at the top of the program, Carmine the Snake, that covers the life of Carmine Persico and his murderous mob family. Now, Carmine is a fascinating story accused of killing or ordering the execution of as many as 60 people. Right. That's remarkable. Well, it is. I mean, his story is, is, is a great story, but that that there alone is, uh, most, of, most of the bosses killed, ordered people that many killings already. So uh, his story is interesting because he spent most of his time in jail. All my going up life, he's been in jail. And he ordered a lot of these executions from behind bars. That's what they're saying. You know, I have, I'm not privy to that because I'm not in his family or in his crew or or never was. So, I mean, that's the allegations. The allegations is that he was in charge and this is what he did. You know, I don't know personally. You know, uh, I mean, you put two and two together and that's what you get. The guy's been very powerful. He's a unique guy. Uh, and he lasted a long time. So, uh, you know, and his family stood in power, you know, in the, in the streets for a long time. You know, I think it's, they're all off the street now. Everyone's either in jail or, 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 or dead. So, And one of the morsels from your book, which I found fascinating, was the mention of Hollywood superstar Goldie Horn. What was her connection? They were good friends with uh, Carmine and, a lot of uh, Hollywood people were always friends with us. I mean, Judy Garland used to hang out with uh, with us on Court Street. Uh, uh, a lot, of, a lot of women um, and, and actors still with us. So uh, 
gangsters always had Hollywood around them. So uh, Carmine to have actors or actresses and actors around him was very common in the 60s, 70s, like that. So uh, it's a common thing. I mean, to read about it, people not knowing how common stuff is, you know, is uh, I, I didn't understand that a lot of people didn't know that these things happen commonly, you know. But then as I, you know, see now that uh, most people don't know what people do, you know, they think they know, they read so much, you know, they have friends or someone tells them, but really they don't know shit. Now, Carmine is behind bars at Butner Federal Correctional Institute in North Carolina with another very famous inmate, Ponzi mastermind, Bernie Madoff. Yes. What can you tell me about his relationship with Bernie behind bars at this facility? The relationship is two people in jail forever having conversations. Uh, you know, they're both uh, interesting characters. Uh, they're both old men that need to sit down and talk and to put the, get the time away. So uh, what is it? It's, it's, you know, two old men in jail talking. Are they friends? Well, everyone's friends in jail or, if, or, you're, or you're an enemy. So I would say yes. Either you're a friend or an enemy. So I, I would think, you know, they was yeah, knowing that they're sitting around and talking and having conversations, you know, I, one's 85 and I don't know what Bernie is. I have no idea, but these are old people, man. You know, you know, they're lost, you know, their lives and been in jail for, uh, for a long time or going to be in jail for a long time. So uh, they're sitting talking. I don't know if you've ever been in jail, but you know, when not. you're in jail. Okay. So when you're there, <laughs> This is what you do. You make friends, uh, try not to make enemies, and you sit down and you have conversation to make the day go by. And a lot of interesting characters come into jail. You know, so if you have the opportunity to speak, you know, you sit down and have conversations. Uh, are they planning anything? I doubt very much they can plan a, a, getting a popcorn machine. I mean, but <laughs> but you know, it always looks good that you know that uh, they can make news out of, you know, two old men having a conversation. Uh, my, my opinion is it's over for Carmine. It's been over for years. I mean, I mean, it might be well-respected, but it's, it's over, you know? So uh, that's what, you know, the, you know, why. The book was done because he was a great historical character and uh, no one ever put the whole story together in one, you know, in one place. That's what we thought. Doing a book was a good idea. Just put in everything in one place so you can read it and show how interesting this guy is. The guy was a smart guy. He he, he um, defended himself in a, in a case. Even the judge said he was you know brilliant in certain ways. Now it's a pretty interesting story alone. Uh, it is. No, it that's is. That's why we. That's why we did that. You know, after I did my autobiography, it was the Pleasure Street Boys. I thought that was the second book to do because it was he was interesting. Well, the true story of Carmine the Snake, Persico's ascent from street gang member to the head of a powerful mob family is available on Amazon.com. Now, Frank, thank you very much for joining us on All Rise, a fascinating insight into a story that continues to captivate everyone because of the allure and the interest in the underworld. Frank, thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much, guys. After a short break... L.A. Lawman, are they too starstruck to charge Robert Wagner? 
we have an exclusive interview with a former retired lieutenant with the Coast Guard Reserve who says now it's up to the feds to crack the case. The death of movie star Natalie Wood four decades ago continues to fascinate the media. And now, Dr Phil and his television show has joined in the discussion, hosting the yacht skipper and yours truly, and in a bombshell declaration, the boat's captain, Dennis Deverne, declares that Natalie Wood was murdered and Wood's sister, who accuses her ex-brother-in-law, actor Robert Wagner, of doing it. Let's take a listen to last week's Dr. Phil on CBS. So what is your theory? I think the argument got out of control and uh, she, was, she was knocked unconscious by a physical fight from Robert Wagner and put in the water. So you believe when you were standing on the back of that boat and he said, don't turn on that searchlight, you were talking to a murderer? Exactly. You believe Robert Wagner murdered Natalie Wood? I really do. Those are the words of Splendor Boat Captain Dennis Deverne. It is a startling revelation from one of four people who were on board that boat on that fateful night in 1981. And as listeners to this podcast know, this case has fascinated me for close to a decade. Police have declared Robert Wagner a person of interest in her death. They have not laid charges. Indeed, they've attempted to get Robert Wagner to answer questions. He has rebuffed their overtures. The question now is, in light of all this new evidence, will police ever charge Robert Wagner? Will state prosecutors in California charge him with murder? I've said all along, it's seemingly impossible for the LA County prosecutors to take on board a case that is built on circumstantial evidence for 37 years with witnesses who seemingly have credibility issues. But I was struck by a report in the National Enquirer last week in which attorney Peter Gleason, a retired lieutenant with the Coast Guard Reserve, came forward to say that only federal authorities are capable of cracking the case. Peter Gleason joins me on the line now. Peter, thank you very much for your time. Thanks for having me. Peter, in this instance, you are suggesting that the federal government, including the FBI and the Coast Guard, should launch a fresh investigation into the 1981 death of Natalie Wood. Why? This happened on the high seas and in navigable waters. The U.S. Coast Guard, which is both a branch of the U.S. military, but it also has police powers, federal law enforcement powers, has the ability and has the obligation to look into something like this. And, uh, you know, when you have an eyewitness, the boat captain, coming forward after so many years saying, you know what, it's, uh, we need to look into this further, he has, he's given an opinion as to what may have happened there that night, and it requires further investigation. It's really that simple. Let's go back to 1981. 
This immediately was handled by the LA County Sheriff's Department, and many have said, and I subscribe to the theory, that the initial investigation was botched. There were critical errors in the investigation, such as not looking for evidence under her fingernails, overlooking a series of bruises, including devastating bruises around her neck. Why did the LA County Sheriff's Department take control of the investigation at the time and not the US Coast Guard? Well, because it's Hollywood. And, uh, you know, that, that's the industry. That is the, the butter that is spread over the, the bread called LA County and Hollywood. And let's not get in the way of, uh, you know, of further perpetuating the cash cow called, uh, called Hollywood. Are you saying that there are two tiers of justice, that celebrity overrules regular justice for laymen like you and I? Oh, it certainly does. And, uh, you know, fast forward to today, I, I encountered an exact same case here in the city of New York, which I could speak to you at length at another time, where a uh, New York City firefighter was killed on a movie set and uh, the assigned marshal was pulled off the case because uh, everything was, was pointing towards culpability on the part of uh, the movie company. So when you have an industry that brings in billions upon billions of dollars. Uh, the last thing you want to do is, is give that industry a black eye uh, because they could, they could just, you know, pull up and leave. If you, if you remember back in the 1920s and 30s, uh, New York City was the, uh, was the Hollywood. When they moved to Hollywood, became what it is today. And God forbid somebody point a finger at some criminal culpability of, of somebody in Hollywood. I mean, I guess O.J. Simpson's the perfect example. Uh, and, and Robert Blake, uh, it seems like there's a string of botched investigations when it comes to uh, celebrity-involved criminality. Let's pause for a moment. I want to play an audio clip from Dennis Deverne, who was the skipper of the Splendor on that night, about what he believes took place that night. I really do think RJ killed Natalie. Over the years, I, I, I put two and two together. And when I see a man standing on the back of his boat with the door open and him telling me that Natalie was missing, I realized that if she's missing and he's standing there where you would actually exit the boat and she's missing, I mean, to me, it's obvious that he was the last one with her. In light of those comments, should the U.S. Coast Guard launch an investigation? The, the U.S. Coast Guard, as I said, is a federal law enforcement agency as well as a branch of the military. And in conjunction with the Federal Bureau of Investigation, they should absolutely put that boat captain in the sea and ask him the hard and fast questions as to why he made that statement, why he has a bad opinion. It's really that simple. And from there, it can go. And then then they need to interview the other individuals that were on the boat. Because when you do a criminal investigation, uh, if you're a suspect, you have certain rights. Witnesses don't have the same rights. So if Chris Walken, as he was on the boat, if he is a witness to this, then he needs to be put. It's really that simple. 
And if, if they're saying that an individual is a suspect, well, they're going to lawyer up and they're going to they're invoke their Fifth Amendment rights. But if somebody is not a suspect and not under investigation, but a witness, that witness in every jurisdiction that I know of can be mandated to sit down and answer some very difficult questions. So there are some critical revelations as part of this podcast Fatal Voyage, The Mysterious Death of Natalie Wood, which is available on Apple Podcasts at the moment. The LA County Sheriff's Department has revealed that they have two new witnesses who have come forward. Now, they've not named these witnesses. They say they must remain secret. But those witnesses, one, saw a violent confrontation the day before Natalie was found dead. Another witness has come forward to say that they heard and saw an eyewitness, a struggle on board the Splendor that night. These are chilling new details which potentially would give rise to police to make a move on Robert Wagner, if Robert Wagner is the one they think was having the struggle on board. To me, it seems like the LA County Sheriff's Department, since reopening in this investigation in 2011, has established a case for foul play. Why do you think they haven't moved on it? Well, I think it goes back to the allure of Hollywood. Uh, you, you, law enforcement treads very, very carefully when it comes to people in power of power and influence. If this was if this was somebody if this was a street urchin that they were looking at, they grab them, they they cuff them, they bring them in. But when you know there are two different, it's a tale of two cities, if you will. Uh, if you're in a different socioeconomic level, you have more rights, and the police treat you different. Law enforcement treats those with power and influence much differently than they treat somebody who doesn't have two nickels to rub together. So they tread very, very lightly on this. And, you know, and I can understand at this point, they really have to get their ducks in a row because this has the potential to turn into a huge embarrassment for law enforcement and the veracity of their investigation going back to the early 1980s. Well, it would be a 37-year embarrassment. Effectively, Detective Rajor, who was the man who was tasked with investigating this case back in 1981, quickly formed an opinion that there was no foul play. Thomas Noguchi, the famous coroner at the time, determined that there was no foul play. Interestingly, the lead detective on this case from the LA County Sheriff's Department, homicide investigator Ralph Hernandez, tells Fatal Voyage that Thomas Noguchi now believes that he was wrong. And that's telling. I want to play a clip now from Fatal Voyage where we have Ralph Hernandez, the lead detective, talking about these new witnesses. Let's take a listen. Yeah, I can't tell you who the, wit- the new witnesses are. Um, we're, not, we're not giving up their, their identity. What I can tell you about the new witnesses is, one, they're not looking for limelight. They're not looking to have um, anyone pay them for interviews. In fact, two of them we actually had to seek out and find. People have asked us why 
we believe that they're credible. And actually their reasons for not coming forward is what lends to their credibility. I can tell you that their account certainly corroborates Dennis Deverne. Listening to Detective Hernandez there, that sounds compelling. It, it certainly does. And when, you know, listen, everybody has a, everybody wants to leave a legacy and everybody has a conscience. Whether or not that conscience is always engaged is another thing. However, many times people have come uh, on the tail end of their career or their deathbed uh, like the FBI agent that was involved in the Watergate investigation, who outed himself as Deep Throat. So a lot of times the truth takes years, if not decades, uh, to come out. And, and hopefully that's the case in this matter. Are you confident that the U.S. Coast Guard might take a more proactive approach in this investigation, or are you pessimistic? Well, the the Coast Guard is, as I said, a law enforcement agency. They're an administrative agency. Uh, And listen, they have their own pecking order. I think it's a tremendous opportunity for the Coast Guard to shine. And let me tell you the way that, and I'm a former member of the Coast Guard as well as a former member of the uh, NYPD. So I'm very familiar with the way law enforcement works. If an agency, if a law enforcement agency is given the opportunity to shine, they're remiss if they don't take and capitalize on that opportunity. So many times when you see a big uh, criminal bust take place, sometimes the agency that did all the grunt work is not the agency in front of the camera. This is an opportunity for the Coast Guard to shine. This is an opportunity for the Coast Guard to come in and say, we want to make our navigable waters as safe as possible regardless whether you're a migrant from Cuba or a celebrity off the coast of Catalina. It would be remiss of me not to mention that for the very first time, Robert Wagner's representative, publicist Alan Nyrob, has responded to the renewed interest in the Natalie Wood death case, telling USA Today that Dennis Deverne and her sister Lana Wood should be, quote, shamed. This is what Alan Nyrob said. They are despicable human beings, capitalising on the accidental death of a beloved member of the Wagner family. He went on to say they should be ashamed of themselves. With response to that, I say to Alan Nyrob, the case he's building, there is circumstantial evidence and forever that the question remains unanswered about what really happened to Natalie Wood, given the conflicting stories, given the recanting of evidence by Robert Wagner himself. This case is not just about an accidental death. This case is about trying to attempt to piece together the puzzle about what really took place on that fateful Thanksgiving night. Peter, I want to thank you very much for joining me Peter Gleeson, the attorney and a retired lieutenant with the Coast Guard Reserve. Thank you very much for your time here on All Rise. Thank you very much. Have a great day. And with that comes Chapter 11 of Fatal Voyage, The Mysterious Death of Natalie Wood. It's out now. And in this chapter, with the probe into Natalie Wood's death officially reopened, 
stunning new details are being made public as speculation mounts about what truly happened that night. And her husband, Robert Wagner, is officially named a person of interest. In this chapter, I take a look at how possible bungling by the coroner and the police, notably the mishandling of key witnesses and crucial evidence, impacted the initial investigation. I'll also explore how a fresh examination of the severe bruising on Natalie's body and the emergence of new witnesses from the night she vanished forced detectives to take a closer look at their first investigation and their first faulty findings. That's Fatal Voyage, The Mysterious Death of Natalie Wood, out now on Apple Podcasts. Don't forget you can subscribe to All Rise on Apple Podcasts and anywhere where you get your podcasts. Because remember, this is All Rise, and it's the only podcast with the guts to tell it like it is. Thank you.